Okay, good morning everyone. Good to see you all here today. Um, yes, no, they're not on the website, but we will remind you through the week, I'm sure, through... Yeah, we'll send an email out, so you'll be fully aware of all the dates and times. I would just really encourage you to get yourself to at least one of those prayer meetings through the week. Um, really important times for us together as a church. This is more than what we... This isn't just it, you know, on a Sunday morning. We just get together, we sing, and you hear some bloke speak. Um, it's more than that, because we want to affect this area around us. We want to see people come to know Jesus, and actually we need to contest the Lord for that. You know, and it, it says in uh, the book of James, doesn't it, that Elijah, he was a man just like us, and he prayed, and it didn't rain for three and a half years. We can do that. I mean, we don't want it to not rain. We like rain sometimes. Um, not if you're working on a roof, actually. That's not good. Anyway, but I would really encourage you to get there to at least one of these prayer meetings. Um, it's just an important time for us as a church to contend uh, for this nation and for this area together. Um, this morning, we're going to be carrying on through our sermon series in Corinthians. We've been going through this for about a year or so now, a bit longer than a year, Adam, is that right? Yeah, I've just jumped in on the last sort of six months of that. Um, but just before we do that, should we just pray? I, I just want to really seek him this morning. And I was just remembering about uh, a few minutes ago, the first time I came to church. And uh, before I did that, I, I turned up at uh, this house, which are now my in-laws' house. And I, I had no idea what was going to happen that morning. I thought I had no idea what was in store. And, uh, and I was going just to keep in their good books, really. Um, that hasn't happened since, but... <laughs> <laughs> I hope that's not true, but anyway. Um, and life was never the same again, because I met the risen Lord Jesus. Not that day, I didn't give my life to the Lord on that day, but that was the beginning of my journey and my walk with him. And, but that was through my now wife praying for me as well. So that's why it's so important that we pray. So can we pray this morning? I just really want to know him. Lord Jesus, will you come this morning? Our worship doesn't end with the singing of songs, Lord. We want to know you. Above all else, we want to know you. I pray that for my Friends here this morning, we want to know you above all else. The risen Lord Jesus, the one that Matt uh, spoke about, who was fully man and fully God, who went through that pain and suffering for us. Lord Jesus, what an amazing truth it is that we could know you, that you come and meet with us, you come and fill us with your Holy Spirit. That... It says that mountains will bow down to him and we can know him. It says that he's in unapproachable light, yet we can approach the throne of the king. Lord, what an amazing privilege it is because of what you did for us on the cross. Such mercy, such grace. Amen. Amen. Okay, so if you could turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 15, we're going to um, be reading from verse... 21, and James is going to come and read to us. As I said last week, we're going to read a big chunk of Scripture again, just because it's good to have Scripture read over us as a church, um, and then we'll dig into it. So you see, 
just as death came into the world through a man, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through an Adam. Everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. But there is an order to this resurrection. Christ was raised as the first of the harvest. Then all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. After that, the end will come, when he will turn the kingdom over to the God the Father, having destroyed every ruler and authority and power. For Christ must reign until he humbles all his enemies beneath his feet, and the last enemy to be destroyed is death. For the scriptures say, God has put all things under his authority. Of course, when it says all things under his authority, that does not include God himself, who gave Christ his authority. Then, when all things are under his authority, the Son will put himself under God's authority, so that God, who gave his Son authority over all things, will be utterly supreme over everything, everywhere. If the dead will not be raised, what point is there in people being baptised for those who are dead? Why do it unless the dead will someday rise again? And why should we ourselves risk our lives hour by hour? For I swear, dear brothers and sisters, that I face death daily. This is as certain as my pride in what Christ Jesus our Lord has done in you. And what value was there in fighting wild beasts, those people of Ephesus, if there will be no resurrection from the dead? And if there is no resurrection, let's feast and drink, for tomorrow we die. Don't be fooled by those who say such things, for bad company corrupts good character. Think carefully about what is right, and stop sinning. For to your shame I say that some of you don't know God at all. But someone may ask, how will the dead be raised? What kind of bodies will they have? What a foolish question. When you put a seed into the ground, it doesn't grow into a plant unless it dies first. And what you put in the ground is not the plant that will grow, but only a bare seed of wheat or whatever you are planting. Then God gives it the new body he wants it to have. A different plant grows from each, each kind of seed. Similarly, there are different kinds of flesh. One kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are also bodies in the heavens and bodies on the earth. The glory of the heavenly bodies is different from the glory of the earthly bodies. The sun has one kind of glory, while the moon and the stars each have another kind. And even the stars differ from each other in their glory. It is the same way with the resurrection of the dead. Our earthly bodies are planted in the ground when we die, but they will be raised to live forever. Our bodies are buried in brokenness, but they will be raised in glory. They are buried in weakness, but they will be raised in strength. They are buried as natural human bodies, but they will be raised as spiritual bodies. But just as there are natural bodies, there are also spiritual bodies. The scriptures tell us, the first man, Adam, became a living person, but the last Adam, that is, Christ, is a life-giving spirit. What comes first is a natural body, then the spiritual body comes later. 
Adam, the first man, was made from the dust of the earth, while Christ, the second man, came from heaven. Earthly people are like the earthly man, and heavenly people are like the heavenly man. Just as we are now like the earthly man, we will someday be like the heavenly man. What I'm saying, dear brothers and sisters, is that our physical bodies cannot inherit the kingdom of God. These dying bodies cannot inherit what will last forever. But let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. It will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever. And we who are living will all be transformed. Our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. Then, when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? For sin is the sting that results in death, and the law, law gives sin its power. But thank God, he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. So, my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. Well, isn't that amazing, really? So last week we uh, looked at really the first half of that and um, talked a little bit about what our resurrected bodies will be like um, when Jesus returns and that it's important that we don't so uh, soften the blow when talking about death because this happens to us all and that we will go somewhere for eternity after this. And I talked about how the Bible talks about the two roads. Uh, one is wide and easy, and the other uh, is narrow, and not many pass through it. Um, I was, I've been blissfully aware of my non-resurrected body this week. I, uh, I played football on Monday night, and I, I haven't played for a month or so. And then I woke up Tuesday and Wednesday morning, and a little bit of Thursday, praying, Lord, will you come back now? so I can have my resurrected body. Um, it's purely a sign of being unfit, unfortunately, but um, it was painful. And I had a real nightmare on Monday night as well, so I could have played much better. But anyway, um, and then it came to Friday, and just as my unresurrected body was recovering, I, I went to Elijah's, my son's, sports day, and it was all, all very well and good, watching all the children run and stuff, and then I forgot about one thing that happens at the end, the parents' race. So um, under duress, I walked rather sorrowfully, thinking about my unresurrected body to the, to the start line, and I look across the line, I'm in the end lane, and uh, some of these guys look pretty fit, they're wearing proper sports outfits, I'm thinking, I hope they fall over, because I've got no chance of, <laughs> of winning this. I hope they all stack it into each other. Anyway, so I gave it my all. And I, I really go, I'm particularly slow as well. So I'm halfway down the track. It's only 100 metres. Halfway down the track, I look, and there's nobody there. And they're all behind me. 
and I just, which slowed me down incredibly because I was just so in shock that this, this was happening. And uh, I crossed the line first. I, and I don't want to boast in myself. I want to boast in Christ, you must understand. And I want to be humble about this. Um, but I did wear the first sticker for the rest of the day. And, um, and then last night I said to Gemma, is it, is it normal that your legs ache this much from running 100 metres? <laughs> Apparently not, actually. But um, it was the whimpering in between that she couldn't stand. But... But uh, it, it was good. Anyway, so we, do, we don't have these resurrected bodies, and that's what we looked at last week. And um, I gave a, a little example at the end about how the shadow of death touches us and how I gave, gave that little story of when Elijah got very nearly got hit by a van on his scooter and our hearts kind of nearly jumped out of our chest and it just missed him. And the shadow of the van hit Elijah. The van didn't hit him. And that's the same with, with us and death, how um, death doesn't really hit us, just the shadow of death. And death really hit Jesus on that day. Um, so we're moving on this week and looking over this subject where it talked about the end, where it says at the end, victory over death. We have victory over death. So I just want to look at this week about how, it, how it, that came about, what it means and how it affects us. So if we could go back, guys, from verse 50 onto the screen, please. Um, it says, What am I saying, dear brothers and sisters, that our physical bodies cannot inherit the kingdom of God, which I'm quite pleased about with this physical body. These dying bodies cannot inherit what will last forever. See, these bodies that we have now, these current bodies, are not appropriate for God's world. In eternity, death and decay aren't accommodated but defeated. And uh, let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. So that's a clear indication as well to us that one day Jesus will come and there will still be Christians in this life, still be alive on this earth. And in an instant, they will be changed as well. Um, there's a verse in uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, where it talks about meeting him in the clouds. I'm not quite sure how that's going to happen, so I don't want to say we're all going to float up and then spin around and come back down different. I don't know how that's going to work. But what is important, I think, as well, that we, um, we mustn't keep trying to guess and look for signs about when that's going to happen, when Jesus is going to come again. Jesus himself says that no one, no one knows, not even the angels about when he's going to come again. But it does say at the end of that, we need to be ready. We need to be ready for that day. Would you be really happy if he came now? I'm going to play football again tomorrow night. I might be praying that he comes sooner. So, And then we're introduced into the, from verse 52, uh, where he says it will happen in the moment in the blink of an eye when the last trumpet is blown. When the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever, and we who are living will be transformed. Now, I think the trumpet is God's favourite instrument. It's, you read it all the way through the Bible of the trumpet sound. Now, the band were played beautifully this morning, but there, was, there wasn't the trumpet. And we see the trumpet all the way through Scripture. There's even a festival of trumpets in Leviticus uh, 23. 
But there was a trumpet sound with Moses and the people of Israel when he gathered to, to Mount Sinai. The trumpet sound and the people were terrified. They said, no, Moses, you go up for us. And that signaled God's presence. The trumpet sound signaled God's presence. Uh, we see in the book of Numbers from chapter 10, it is a sign of God's people congregating. The trumpet blows and God's people congregate. In Joshua 6, um, they blow the trumpets and the walls come down. It's a sign of imminent victory. A sign of imminent victory. The trumpet is being blown all through this book that we read. Then, at a time that looks like ultimate defeat, a mocking sin and death, Satan sneering, a victory cry came. When Jesus died on the cross, the perfect, holy, righteous one, it looked like defeat. He died on a cross. But actually, it was ultimate victory. You know, I often talk about how, you know, football teams win leagues, but ultimately it doesn't last because it's just reset when the season starts again. Nations invade other nations. But a hundred years or so, then they're just taken over by another nation. There is no long-lasting eternal victory apart from this victory that Jesus won on the cross for us. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the curtain was torn in two. The curtain was torn in two, meaning we have access. The curtain stopped um, the priest going into the Holy of Holies, into the very presence of God. It's really struck me this week um, in the book of Isaiah. If you could turn, actually, in your Bibles to um, Isaiah 53. I don't have it on the screen. Um, And as we read some of this, it's really struck me. I was thinking about Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane. He was full of anguish. He was saying, Father, take this cup from me, but your will be done. I'm going to read from verse 7. It says, He was oppressed and he was afflicted. This is talking about Jesus. Yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By a perversion of justice he was taken away. Who could have imagined his future? For he was cut off from the land of the living, stricken for the transgressions of my people. They made his grave for the wicked and his tomb with the rich, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him with pain. What Matt talked about this morning. He was a man that felt every whip. He he was a man that felt the nails going through his hands. He felt the pain. He was in anguish in the garden saying, Father, take this away from me. Can you imagine looking at, at one of your children who are in anguish and they're saying, Father, don't do this. But it says, it was the will of the Lord to crush him with pain. Can you imagine that? Looking down on his son. It was the will of the Lord to crush him with pain. 
When you, it goes on, make his life an offering for sin, he shall see his offspring and shall prolong his days. Through him, the will of the Lord shall prosper. Out of his anguish, he shall see light. He shall find satisfaction through his knowledge. The righteous one, my servant, shall make many righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. And at the end, it says, because he poured out himself to death, was numbered with the transgressors, transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. transgressors. He bore what we deserve. It was the will of the Lord to crush him with pain. But it means, as it says in verse 7, he shall see the light and we get to see that light too. We get to share in that glorious resurrection truth. See, the trumpet sound is proclaiming his presence that we can come into. That there's no longer a barrier. The trumpet sound means we can come in. And when the trumpet sounds at the end, we will be with him forever. And that should affect us now. That trumpet sound should shape how we live our lives now. How we live now as God's people and his church. We need to take our calling here, now, seriously. We're called to be his body. We're called to be the body of Christ. So, I just want to put it out there this morning. What are you living for this morning? What are you living for today? We had a conversation with a friend of ours in America this week. And um, we met these guys, this great family, in our previous church in Bury, And... They were some of the... We've not made a connection with many people like we did with these guys. We were, you know, real good friends with these, real kind of connection. And we just, you know, any spare moment we had, we would hang out with each other. And then um, the guy's contract got cancelled and he had to go back to America. And uh, my friend Katie, we were FaceTiming and she was saying... Uh, we were just thinking this week how much we miss you guys and we miss England. And then I, I just realized, you know, and I read something about a missionary whose um, wife and child died. And he, he just said, you know, he's going to be with them for eternity. And she said, I'm, we really miss you guys. But we just, I just realized I'm going to be with you guys for eternity in heaven. And it, it's so easy, isn't it, to get caught up with... What, what, what's going on here and now? Relationships, belongings. I'm just going to do another little demonstration. I did this at, at Easter. Reuben, if you could just come and grab the other end of this. Now, this rope here is, imagine this is our lifespan. And it just goes on and on and on. For all eternity. It ends in a tangled mess up there where Reuben is. But let's just imagine it. Anyone want to skip? No? Okay. And our life on earth is this little bit here. And we get so caught up with what's going on here. We get caught up with what's going on with our kids down here. And we can get too attached 
to that, to this bit, to our earthly possessions. But what about this? What about this? What about where Reuben is? Sorry, Adam. <clears throat> it goes on and on and on. But we get so caught up with this. We need to think about how we treat our things. You know, I, get, we, I, I do this as well because I'm not perfect. Most of you know that. We get attached to stuff. It's, the Bible talks about stuff that moth and rust will destroy. It's not, it's not going to matter in all of this. In all of this, it's not going to matter. It's a big thing for us right now. Thank you, Reuben. Um, we are you know, thinking about, in September, trying to buy a house. Well, what, are we, what are we buying it for? What do we want to use this house for? Is it because we want to be really comfortable? Do we want a really nice place to live? Yes, we do. That's okay. But as long as we don't get so attached to that. I gave uh, an example as well before. Um, not long before God really called us here and I had a phone call from Adam, Gemma was talking about telling somebody how we hold everything lightly. And we'd put a lot of effort into the house that we were living in. We completely transformed it, extended it um, front and back, changed the layout and everything. And we loved it. It was a great family home. And Gemma said, well, well, you know, we hold all this lightly. It doesn't matter. And then the call came. Ah, right, yes, well. Um, and it put us to the test. It put us to the test. See, we need to have the mindset that our home is in heaven. Do you have your mind that your home is in heaven? Now, we want to use whatever house or home that we buy for his kingdom purposes. We love having people around. We like to do hospitality and welcome people in. We want to use all of our earthly resources for his kingdom purposes. See, as I said last week, the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. We can store up treasures in heaven. Not trying to find as much pleasure as possible in this life, but focusing in on him and what he's calling us to. There's a kind of recent thing in the last 10 years or so, people talk about a bucket list, things they'd like to do before they die. I'm not sure if that's entirely biblical because we're going to be in a place in glory for eternity like we've never seen before. Now, don't get me wrong, I like to travel and stuff and see new places, but that mustn't be, I must do these things before I die because I start to take my eyes off things and things can be such a distraction in this life, can't they? Anything relationships, give everything to your relationships, your um, wife and children, parents, honour them, love them, but don't be so attached to that that you take your eyes off the kingdom of God and what he's calling you to. I want to use my marriage and my family to be part of God's kingdom and his purpose for our lives. TV can get distracting. Computers, iPads, phones, it can all be a distraction. I'm trying, I'm working through this at the moment. I'm just kind of putting it out there, um, laying it out 
all my troubles with you at the moment. I'm trying not to let my phone master me. I love my phone. <laughs> it, 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 and I, I pray for those of you that don't have iPhones. But <laughs> the Lord will, may bless you one day. I think it's to do with righteousness. But anyway, I'm joking. It's not true. Now, but I mustn't let it master me. You see, because I came from Bury St. Edmunds, running my own business, leading the church there with some other guys. I was always on my phone answering emails, text messages, phoning companies, suppliers, etc., etc. So I just got into this rhythm of my hand is almost shaped like an iPhone. Um, but, I, but I mustn't let it master me, so I'm turning it off. When my kids, when I get home from work, um, me and Gemma, we're trying to put our phones away now until the kids are in bed. Um, and then we stare at the screens. No. Um, <laughs> but I mustn't let this be a distraction. We can waste hours doing stuff, playing computer games. I realised when my son was born that I needed to stop playing computer games because I was spending hours on it. I'm wasting hours of my life in front of a screen when I could be seeking God in prayer, in worship, or going out and trying to see his kingdom come. So easy, though, isn't it? But let's try and focus in on him. Let's try and focus in on what he is calling us to. It says in John, that those who believe in me, even though they die, they will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. We're never going to die, those of us that are in Christ. Can I just say, if you're here this morning and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, I have been there and I've seen both sides of the coin and there, has, there is nothing like this, knowing the risen Jesus. It's changed my life forever. I thought Christians were boring. I thought a Christian life would be dull. My life has never been dull or boring since I've given my life to the Lord. Um, if you want a quiet, easy life, don't become a Christian because, that's, because my life is busy, but I'm trying to be busy for the kingdom, not busy for busy's sake. So if we could just go back to the verses from verse 54... It's true that death has been defeated. Death has been defeated. Then our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die. This scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? See, we no longer need to fear death. It's one of the, well, it's probably the biggest fear that people face in this life. And even if they don't think it's that, often other fears are connected to the fear of dying. We no longer need to fear the grave or the future. If we fix our eyes on Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection, it is swallowed up. Death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sin, your sting? See, we're free free from sin and made righteous in, this, in his sight. We can approach the King of Kings 
because of what Jesus did for us. And what glorious news. We get to share this news. He's drawing you in if you belong to him. He's drawing you into his mission, his rescue plan to save the world. And he wants to use you. We can dismiss ourselves and say, no, no, not me. I don't have any skills or any particular um, use or I'm too old or I'm too young. No, he's calling you. He's calling you. Your good works that he prepared for you in advance do not cease this side of the grave. They go on and on. And he's calling you in, calls us into his mission to spread this good news, to pray for the sick, to help the poor, to bring freedom to the captives. Jesus Uh, In Matthew 25, talking to his disciples, he talks about clothing the naked and feeding the hungry. He says, just as you did not do to the least of these, you did to me. I found that quite challenging this week. Do we treat others as we would treat Jesus? There are people that will frustrate us in life. People that wind us up or we may not choose to spend time with. That person that's frustrating us in front, in traffic, who's driving incredibly slow, talking about myself here, am I treating that person like Jesus? No. But we need to treat others as we would treat him. It's quite a challenge. If Jesus came in now, how would we treat him? We'd love him. We'd bow down before him. But he's saying, love like you'd love me. That's a sign to the outside world, how we love them, how we love each other. That's another sign to the unbeliever, how the church loves one another. It talks about preferring one another in love. Church, you need to prefer one another in love. We're family. We need to love one another, forgive one another. Now, we're all very different people, and there will be um, times when we might upset one another, but we need to bow down to that and our own pride and uh, selfishness and love, prefer one another. This is clear, how we show love with actions and in truth by giving to others financially and with our time. You remember Jesus, and when he fed the 5,000, you imagine when he gave, he gave the bread to the disciples. Can you imagine if he gave the bread to the disciples and they just said, oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for what you've given me. Thank you. And just, just said thank you. It's good to say thanks for what God gives us. Imagine if that's all they did. They just gave thanks for what he's given them. Imagine if we just gave thanks for what he's given us. Imagine if they just held on to it and they didn't hand it out. Imagine what would happen. That story, that famous story, would not be known today. It would have been stupid, in fact, if they hadn't given it away. And that's the same for us. When we fail to freely and joyfully give, we're loaded down. We're loaded down with stuff while others are desperate for a small loaf. 
We're called to give freely with our time, with our money, be generous. Can I ask you, how's your giving? talks about 10% is an Old Testament model. It's used as our baseline. The New Testament covenant has come and surpassed that. I have learned over the years that I cannot outgive God. I cannot outgive him. You know, we, we Gemma and I, n- never really had particular financial difficulties until we moved to Bury St. Edmunds. And then through many different reasons, uh, redundancies and sometimes lack of work, things were tight. And I remember many times, I always give online, so I can see what I've got in my account and I can see what I'm going to give. And sometimes I can see it and realise it's just going to go down to naught if I give this. And I I gave and it, it hurt. Because I didn't know what was going to happen. I know that there was nothing, el- nothing else there, nothing else I could do. But he, I never outgave him. He never let us down. He never let us go without. We give because he gave. He gave his one and only son. So death is defeated. Victory over death. No sting in death. Just the shadow of death. We don't have to fear that anymore. And we can live as resurrected people here, telling the world out there about this glorious, glorious news. This glorious truth. We need to not be loaded down by the things of this earth, by our possessions. We need to freely give because he gave. Are you ready to freely give? Do you want to freely give? It's not easy. But he will come. He will meet with you. Our hope goes beyond the grave. And in the last few verses of this, it says, Work enthusiastically for the Lord. For you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. Anything you do for the Lord, for the kingdom of God, will last forever. It will last forever. It will not be wasted. And there are lots of things that I'm sure I do and that we do that won't last forever. Moth and rust will destroy. But what does it say? You know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. Follow him. Live for him and give everything for him. And he will meet you. Should we pray? But if we could just, before we do it, let's just, just dwell on the, the gospel. That the, the, the Son of God, fully man, fully God, came and died for you and for me. He knew that Sunday, all those years ago, when I went to my parents-in-law's house, he knew, he chose me. That was the beginning. He chose you. He suffered and died. It says it was the will of the Lord to crush him with pain because he poured out himself to death and he bore the sin of many so that you could be free this morning. Lord Jesus, what amazing truth that is. What an amazing privilege it is that you, 
the holy, sinless, righteous one. You who knew no sin became sin so that we could be the righteousness of God. What amazing truth that is, Lord. Help us, Lord, not fear death anymore. Help us, Lord, live in a way that glorifies you. Help us love those around us. Help us love those within the church, Lord. We want to follow you. We want to live for you. We want to give everything for you. Amen. As we end, it's just four questions at the end that I wonder we could just take away this week. Is your life shaped in any way by the hope of eternal life? If so, how? If not, why is this? Are you living like you're going to live forever? Or just living for this life? In the light of eternal life, what are you currently doing that doesn't make sense? What are you wasting your time on, basically? Where can you be more sacrificial with the love that we show others? And number four, do you still fear death? If so, why? Because it says, doesn't it, death has been defeated. So, just consider those this week. Maybe we'll send them out in a, <clears throat> an email as well this week so you can ponder on that, on those questions. Because we need to live our lives transformed by what has happened to us. Amen? Amen. Okay, have a good week and we will see you next week.